The fourth chapter of Hebrews, verses 14 through 16. The title of my message, The Compassionate Christ. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you walked into this building today, you may have thought to yourself, does anyone really care that I'm here? No one knows what I'm going through. Does God even care about me? No one could possibly understand what's in my heart. Now, people who have suicidal tendencies are prone to think a lot of things and talk very little outwardly about them, and they're harassed by thoughts such as I've just talked about. They have feelings of loneliness, feelings of rejection, feelings of being left out, feelings of being ignored, feelings of discrimination, feelings of guilt, feelings of unworthiness. And all of this is pent up inside. And they wonder if anybody really cares. Now, early in life, you can see that human nature demands that we seek out someone who cares. You watch little children. I'm amazed at our grandbabies. If I pick up one of them, and the other one has been too busy, wouldn't even let me pick them up. But if I pick up one, then the other one says, hold me, granddaddy. And then the third one chimes in, hold me. <laughs> and I've only got two arms. But they want to feel they're not being left out. They don't want to be ignored. You see that when you're watching one of them perform little antics. And it's obvious that all the attention in the room is directed towards this child. And the other child says, watch me, granddaddy. And little Sean says, watch me, watch, watch. All of them want to be watched. Why? Because human nature does not want to be ignored. There's something about us that we, we want to do our own thing. We're preoccupied and we're too busy to, to be involved with some things. But the minute we feel like we're being ignored, we can drop everything. They can drop the toys. They can quit eating. Doesn't matter what they're doing. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be loved. They don't want to be ignored. Now, I read to you a passage that assures us that we're not ignored. We are touched by the love of a person who has been touched 
our needs. Jesus feels, senses, cares, and understands all about our needs. The word says that he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In verse 15, he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now an infirmity is a weakness, it's a feebleness, a frailty, could be a disease, could be of a mental nature, or physical, or some material need. But I looked it up even from the root word, the, the Greek word, and the root meanings. It implies a frailty and a weakness. And the Bible says Jesus is touched with a feeling of our infirmities. Jesus is touched with feeling. How could he be touched with feeling? Well, he's not touched by feeling. You see somebody weeping and you're touched by the feeling of that. You, you feel sorry for them and you may even shed a tear yourself. That's being touched by someone else's feeling. But Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Why? Because he has been tempted in all points like as we are. He has endured for our sake anything that we could ever be confronted with in one form or another Christ has borne in his body what it takes to provide the cure for our healing. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He has suffered, too, also. He, too, has been touched. In all points, the word says. The Greek word for touched means to have sympathy for. And it also means to have compassion for. It's part of the root meaning of the word touched, to have compassion for. Thus, I've titled my sermon this morning, The Compassionate Christ. One who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. A man of compassion, a man of love, a man of tenderness, a man with authority. One who created the worlds. Christ, who formed the worlds and flung the stars from his fingertips. And yet he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's compassionate. He's concerned. He knows how you feel. The song that says, my Jesus knows just how I feel. Yes, he knows just how I feel. I'm glad for that this morning. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. We're assured that he understands and that he really does care. Your feelings, your need, your pain, your embarrassment. Your embarrassment. Your feelings of guilt, he's touched with that. For he has been, he has had empathy with us. He has vicariously suffered for us the pain, the grief, the sorrow, the agony that is brought on our life. Well, of course, we sing sometimes, bring all your needs to the altar. Bring all your need to the Lord. He is able and willing to help you 
Bring all your need to the Lord. In the ministry of Jesus, the four Gospels are replete with references to the compassion that Jesus had. I know we hear teaching today that the reason Jesus performed miracles was that people didn't really know he was the Son of God. And we didn't have the Bible. So he had to produce miracles to prove that he was the Son of God. Well, they certainly did serve that purpose. They did give that proof without a doubt. But that is not why Jesus healed the sick. That is not why Jesus performed miracles. That is not the only reason. He had compassion on people's need. When Jesus stilled the storm that day, was it simply just to show the disciples he had power over the storm? Or was it to help them in their dilemma? Without a doubt, he wanted to solve their problem. They, they said, we perish, we perish. So he rebuked the wind and the waves, and there was a calm. He said, peace be still. Nine gospel accounts mention the compassion of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, in verse 36, he had compassion on the multitude when he observed them as sheep being scattered without a shepherd. And the Bible says in verse 35 of that same chapter, he healed every sickness and every disease among them. Now, friends, Jesus demonstrated his compassion in this great multitude of people whom he discerned were like sheep scattered without a, a shepherd, and he healed every disease and every sickness. I'm glad to report to you this morning that compassionate Christ has not changed, that he still has compassion on the multitude. He still sees the masses of people that are hurting, that are afflicted, that are infirmed, that some have incurable conditions and terminal conditions. God is concerned, and Jesus is the same compassionate Christ. Then in Matthew 14 and verse 14, he had compassion on another great multitude of people, and he healed their sick and then fed all 5,000 of them beside women and children with five loaves of bread and two fishes and took up 12 basketfuls left over. Praise God. Out of his compassion, he healed their sick and fed probably 15,000 or more people. There were 5,000 men besides women and children. And from five loaves and two fish, he multiplied it and fed that great multitude of people, took up 12 basketfuls left over after everyone had enough. Thank God. Why did he do it? He had compassion on them. Friends, Jesus saw this group of people who had been following him. They were hungry. They had no bread. There was nowhere to buy enough bread to feed this crowd of people. Out of his compassion, he fed them. Out of his compassion, he healed their sick. In the 15th chapter of Matthew and verse 32, he had compassion on a multitude on another occasion. And this time, he fed 4,000 men besides women and children with seven loaves and a few fish and took up seven basketfuls left over. The compassionate Christ. Once again, he couldn't say no. He couldn't dismiss this crowd and say, I'm sorry, there's nothing that we can do for you. You'll just have to go into the town, do the best you can, rummage down through the marketplace, and maybe we'll find enough to give everybody a little bit out of compassion. He fed the multitude. Doesn't that give you some assurance this morning when you worry about the economics 
of our day and our time, doesn't it give you some assurance today to know that God has your material needs at heart, that he is compassionate about your financial need? Then in the 20th chapter of Matthew in verse 34, he had compassion on two blind men who couldn't see, who had to grope their way through a world of darkness. And the Bible says he gave them back their sight. He healed them that day because he had compassion on them. Thank God for the compassionate Christ. There are those who would say, oh, but that was a miracle to prove he was the son of God. The Bible says he had compassion on those blind men. And the same Christ who was compassionate over this physical infirmity of two men in that day has no different feelings for this day than he did in that day. In the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, and in verse 41, a leper came to him, and the Bible said he had compassion on him, and he touched him, and then he spoke to him, and he spoke healing to him. The man was healed when Jesus spoke to him. The touch didn't heal him. But when he spoke the word of truth, he was healed. So, beloved, Jesus did what most people would never dare to do. He touched a leper. Who would dare touch an unclean person? Why, the law would condemn a man for touching him and then mixing with the, the rest of the people. You'd have to put him in an isolation ward. My, this is contagion. We can't have this man Christ going around touching lepers. He's an unclean man, supposed to be isolated from the group. But Jesus had compassion on him. You may feel this morning that nobody loves me, nobody cares, but Jesus does. And he touched that leper, and he'll touch your homosexual life and change you as he did this man. He'll touch your criminal background and make you an honest person. He'll touch your sinful life and make you a saint of God. Jesus touches the person who has a need because he has compassion. He didn't sit in judgment. He didn't say, man, what kind of judgment has God brought on you because you're a leper? What have you done? What did your mother and daddy do? Let's convene a hearing here and find out what this man needs to confess. If you got this man in, in somebody's prayer line today, you'd have to send him through the group therapy. Now, first of all, we've got to get at the root of this. And we've got to find how many spirits are in there and which one did this and which one did that. Let's start naming them off. Confess this and, and repent of this and repent of that. Jesus touched the man. I believe today that we need the spirit of Christ in the church. Not the spirit of judgment, not the spirit of people being suspicious, but we need the spirit of Christ who will touch the unclean and speak the word of God to them and liberate the captives and set them free. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 19, the maniac of Gadara, another untouchable, a man with whom no one would associate. He lived in the tombs, cut himself. No man could bind him even with chains. And Jesus cast the demons out of the man and delivered him because he had compassion on him. It's right there in your Bible. He had compassion on a man who was a demon-possessed man. We often look at these mental cases and we say, well, they ought to be confined. They're a threat to society. And we don't even bother to pray for them. And we look upon the maniacs as if that they need to be incarcerated. No, they need to be delivered. Beloved, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of compassion, the compassionate Christ. 
I'm not trying to say that I have a solution to all the difficult problems and that mental institutions are not needed. I know they're needed for a number of reasons. Some people don't want help. And then again, many times we are so weak in our faith that we're not in a position to help all who need help, even when they want it. And there is so much unbelief in Christianity today and doubt about the ability of God. And there's so much uh, impatience and lack of understanding today in the world that people are often shoved into a place that they really don't deserve to be because this world doesn't have the heart to help them. And so, beloved, Jesus had compassion on this man. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then in Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, this is the same incident recorded in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14 that we spoke of earlier where he fed the 5,000 men besides the women and children. He had compassion on them. Mark also says he had compassion. Then in Mark chapter 8 and verse 2, the same incident recorded in Matthew 15 verse 32 that we mentioned earlier where Jesus had compassion on the great multitude and fed the 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish. Then in Luke chapter 7 and verse 13, he had compassion on a widow woman who was on her way to the cemetery with her only son being born by the, those who would bear the coffin. And Jesus had compassion on her. Now Jesus raised this widow's son because he had compassion on the widow. He had compassion on her. Now again, this incident is looked upon when Jesus raised the dead as if it was a something selfish that he did to bring more credibility to his ministry to prove to people who he was where he came from who his father was it did accomplish that without a doubt but friends he raised the widow's son because he had compassion thank God for the compassionate Christ do you know that he taught us to have compassion in at least three parables it's taught in more than three parables, but he mentioned the word compassion in three parables. The first one is found in Matthew 18, verse 27, the parable of the unmerciful servant when his Lord forgave him a large debt of 10,000 talents because he had compassion on him. That servant turned around, had his fellow servant put in jail for a hundred pence because he didn't have compassion on him. This parable teaches us compassion. Jesus wants us to be compassionate. We who have received so much of the mercy of God, we who have received so much of God's favor should not be hard, callous, cold, indifferent, crusty, bitter, filled with strife, if we look back to the pit from whence we have been dug, we would quit pointing a finger in so many directions and finding so many faults with so many people. He has had compassion on you and I or we would not be in this building today. And he is teaching us in this parable that we in turn must have compassion or he will turn back and say to us, I'm going to hold you accountable for the whole debt that you were indebted to me. Because you won't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive you. That's as simple as it can be put. 
In Luke chapter 10 and verse 33, Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. I believe it really happened. It was a true story, but he used it as a parable or an illustration to illustrate, illustrate a truth. And the Samaritan had compassion on this poor man who had been beaten by the robbers, left by the wayside to die, that had been passed by by the Levite and the priest. The Samaritan had compassion on him. What is Jesus teaching us in Luke chapter 10? That we are not to ignore need, that we're not to let people hurt, and we simply turn our head and pass by on the other side. But we are to be compassionate because we emulate Christ when we do that. To be a Christian is to be Christ-like. Christ is compassionate. How can we be crusty? How can we be cold? How can we be indifferent? How can we be hard and judgmental when Jesus is not that way? When we bear his likeness by the very title of Christianity. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 20, and this just upsets a lot of people when we refer to it as a parable of the prodigal son. It's because they're ignorant and they don't know the difference in, in a true story being used as a parable. They think that all parables were dreams. Jesus never used any parable that wasn't a true story. All the parables were true stories. Every parable Jesus ever told was something that was real in life. He didn't dream up an illustration and say, well, now this is parable. Don't pay any attention to it, but just get the message. How foolish can people be? There's nothing wrong in calling this the parable of the prodigal son and using it to illustrate the truth that Christ wanted illustrated. It really did happen. It was a true story, but it's used as a parable to illustrate to us the father had compassion on this repentant son and went and fell on his neck and embraced him, put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and killed the fatted calf and they had a feast. Praise God. What are we supposed to learn from all that? Well, we preach to all the prodigals. We don't preach to the brothers and we don't preach to the family and we don't preach to those who are supposed to be standing on learning from this. We're just preaching to those waywards who, who've run away and, and got in problems. There was a prodigal brother here that resented this young man being given a robe and a ring and having a fatted calf. And the father had to rebuke him. He said, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is thine. You can have a fatted calf any time you want it. Church, don't begrudge the joy that you see among these new converts. Don't say, well, that'll soon wear off. This just really irritates me. Here's somebody just with the joy of the Lord sitting on the front row, thank God, and uh, with their Bibles and a notepad and somebody sitting in the back, oh, it'll soon wear off. Pray God it never does. And if it's worn off of your life, you need to come back down here. But this prodigal brother said, I never got any fatted calf. And a lot of times we look at all this newfound joy and excitement among these new believers and kind of resent, why doesn't God turn the, the honey barrel over on me once in a while? Well, maybe you need to come home once in a while, like the prodigal did. He came home, he said, I've sinned, 
And that's terminology that's, oh, that's out of our, we're positive confessors. We're not confessing sin. No, we're just going to go on being guilty. Never be forgiven unless you confess it either. And he said, I've sinned against God and against home, and I want just to be made like a servant. I don't want a promotion. Well, who's going to ask for a servant's job? No, we want to elbow somebody aside. We want to get the main microphone, or <laughs> we, we want to get the main teaching position, or we want to get the place on the official board, or we want to get in the limelight. We want to be recognized. Who wants to be a servant? He didn't say, I'm willing to. I demand my rights. I'm coming back now, and I want you to take me in like I was when I left. No, I'm not worthy, he said. I submit to you that we would find the banquet more readily if we came back with a repentant attitude and the willingness to humble ourselves and say, God, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, just let me back to this table again. I've had my head in the the hog's trough long enough and I've been out there lean the world's provision has never satisfied me and I've been cold and lukewarm and I've come back and I believe the compassionate Christ would take you back in and give you a robe and put a ring on your finger he wouldn't demand that you be ostracized by the rest of the Christians and say we're going to put him on probation now for six months and we've got to make him prove that he really means business no the compassionate Christ will prepare the banquet table for you I believe there's a lesson there for us he has compassion for your physical needs in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17 before I quote from that passage of scripture I want to quote from Luke chapter 1 and verse 32 Mary was receiving a message from God part of that message was that this Christ child he shall be great he shall be called the son of the highest the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David and he shall reign forever and forever now the position that the exalted Christ is given by prophecy by God the Father in his own right he ascended to was a position of a high priest now a priest represents the people Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities a priest was not merely an officer performing a duty and being paid to do what he was doing. He sensed the need of the nation. He represented them when he went into that priestly ministry to sprinkle the blood above the mercy seat and to bear before that Ark of the Covenant the sins of the people in confession and repentance and to secure for them the provisions that God said would be theirs when they thus obeyed his word. One of the provisions that is guaranteed by Christ's high priestly ministry is healing for our bodies. In Matthew chapter 8 and in verse 17, as you look into this passage, you see that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, that he has borne our sicknesses, and that sickness was never part of God's 
will for us. It was part of God's permissible action because of the failure of man, the fall of man in the garden, but it was never God's plan. Himself, though, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses as the high priest took upon himself the responsibility of bearing before the Ark of the Covenant the failures, the shortcomings, the needs of the nation of Israel. Jesus bore our needs before the Father and the Bible says he bare our infirmities. He took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. The prophet in Isaiah 53 and verse 4 said, He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And that means sicknesses and pain. Isaiah 53 and verse 5 then says, With his stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, By his stripes ye were healed. So the high priest of our profession has borne in before God in the holy sanctuary the need of the people for physical healing. He's a great high priest. The prophecy was he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. God shall give him the throne of his father David and he shall reign. In Hebrews here it says our high priest has passed into heaven. What did he do in heaven? There he presented our case. Your people need healing. Your people need forgiveness. Your people need sanctification. He went into heaven. He passed into heaven to make atonement for us, to sprinkle his own blood above the mercy seat, to assume his office, his high priestly ministry of interceding for us and being our mediator, and to sit at his Father's right hand on a throne, praise God, where Jesus is today is in a position of authority and power. And I read to you the passage in Luke chapter 1 that says he should be great and God shall give him the throne of his father David and he shall reign. Well, he is seated in a heavenly throne. He's going to sit on that earthly throne in the millennium on the throne of David. But presently he is seated on a throne at the right hand of God. What is he doing, friends? He is there assuring us that our case has been heard and has been adjudicated. God the Father has intervened. Our sins have been provided for. There is forgiveness. There is sanctification. There is cleansing. There is healing. There is deliverance. There is provision. And right now, he's interceding to the Father in our behalf. The compassionate Christ begets two things, grace and mercy. We read it here in this verse. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and the fine grace to help in the time of need. Now, friends, we're unworthy. The Bible tells us in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. The Bible tells us that his compassions fail not. So when we come to the throne, what throne do we come to? Right here it says we come to the throne of grace in verse 16, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. The only way that we could ever appear boldly is because of grace. You see, if it were not for grace, we'd get kicked right out on our ears. But grace says, Father, accept them there. I've died for them. Jesus has paid it all. 
And now then, we can come boldly, which means without fear and without reservation. We can come before what kind of throne? The throne of grace. The throne of favor. The throne of mercy. If we got what we deserved, we'd be punished. We'd be destroyed. But it's a throne of grace. And there is no inequity around that throne. There is no miscarriage of judgment around that throne. It's a throne of grace. All is love and all is truth. There is grace there, which means favor. God's special treatment. He doesn't have to do it, but he does like we do for our grandbabies. We extend special dispensations of grace. And to the grandparents, it's seldom that those babies ever need to be spanked. While the parents more readily see the need for correction frequently. But our Heavenly Father lets us find grace. We don't always get what we deserve. We get grace. Special favor. A special treatment. By one who loves us. One who knows that this outpouring of love is going to touch our heart. Not only do we find grace, but we find mercy there. Which means that in righteousness, he reduces the penalty. He lessens the harshness of the way that we would be dealt with because he is so merciful. His compassions fail not. What kind of high priest do we have here this morning? Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He is touched, which means, as we proved earlier this morning, that he's compassionate. He feels compassion for us. He's touched with a feeling of our frailty, of our weakness, of our mistakes, of our shortcoming. So, courage today, friends. You may have come in here this morning feeling that no one understands, but he does. He even knows those areas that you're not willing to discuss with him or anyone else. But he's touched with a feeling of your infirmity. He knows that you're weak. But he's our high priest. And in his and before his throne, you will find grace and mercy. So since he knows everything as we studied in Sunday school, and he has all power and all wisdom, let us come boldly this morning to this high priest of our profession, knowing what a compassionate Christ he is, and unburden our heart. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to him alone. You don't need to confess your sins to a, to a man on earth. You don't need all of this group therapy. You don't need to tell people and let it all hang out like they teach you in psychology. You need to tell Jesus. 